it's lovely to be with you this morning. Thank you for the invite, and um, thank you for the books. Uh, if there's not enough books, lend books, uh, it's because we have some at Horse Castle that your pastors graciously, graciously gave to us on your behalf, so thank you for that. Um, please turn in uh, your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 14, and um, we're going to be uh, camping out in that text this, mor- in that text this morning. I wonder whether you've ever uttered the words, or if you haven't uttered the words, you've thought them, I'm sinking. Uh, we, we talk about a sinking feeling when, when things aren't going our way, and uh, things seem kind of hopeless, and the pressure is on, and we feel uh, overwhelmed, and we can feel overwhelmed by all sorts of things in just everyday life by grief or sorrow or confusion or, or loneliness or fear, and we think things are just, just too much. How do I, how do I keep going? Where, where do I go? In this short text that we're going to study together this morning, we see some truths uh, vividly communicated to us in this true account of Jesus walking in the water in the midst of a storm. And it helps us to, to see where our help comes from when, if we were to use the, the words of the hymn writer, when sorrows like sea billows roll. I love that, that line when we feel overwhelmed by life. As we come to this text, Jesus has just, in Matthew's, as Matthew records it for us in his gospel, he's just fed the 5,000, or 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, probably 20,000. Uh, it's been amazing. It's been, uh, as you read this text, the contrast is quite significant. There's this spiritual high, it seems, up the mountain as Jesus fed these people, and then all of a sudden, it comes crashing down and the disciples are overwhelmed by fear and sorrow and there's a contrast. That, that, seems, that seems true of the Christian life often. Uh, I often say to people who we are about to baptize beforehand, I say, you will feel such uh, a joy when you're baptized and the singing will be kind of louder and the church and then the next day or the day after it will hit you. There's been this spiritual high and then often the devil will come and he will, he will do some work there. And that's what these disciples are experiencing, this wonder of 5,000 people or 20,000 people being fed miraculously and then, well, their life's in danger. And so let's read the text from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea." And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. So Jesus, uh, oh, we finished there, sorry, we're not going to go any further. So, so Jesus is fed the 5,000, he's gone up the mountain to pray, he sent his disciples away. Uh, just imagine the conversations um, these disciples, these, these guys are in their 20s and 30s. So in 20s and 30s, there seems to, there's more 20 and 30-year-old guys in this room than there is at Horse Castle. But that's, that's good. Imagine, these guys are together. They've just seen Jesus and they're chatting. Imagine them. Philip, your face when Jesus told you to feed all those people with just that little bread. Or wasn't it amazing? We just kept walk, walking around and walking around. And, and you've eaten way too much. You should have said no after that fourth portion of fish. I mean, it's, they, they, these guys, are, they're real men. They're, they're chatting. Some fishermen, they're some brash, and, and they're, they're chatting away, and they're on the boat, and then they, as they, they would be their custom, they get in the boat, and they start to move across. These boats weren't huge, probably about eight meters in length in total, and some of them fishermen, they're not worried. They, they, they're on their way. They've just had... A wonderful time with Jesus, no doubt recounting the wonders of it, and then a storm starts to gather. It's a small sea, the Sea of Galilee, but uh, prone to uh, waves as the wind rushes on from the mountains surrounding it, and the boat would be small, it would have a sail, probably some oars, but they're in trouble. We read that pretty quick. They're, they're in trouble. And, and they leave in the evening, but by the fourth watch, they're still on the boat. So they've had the whole night in their boat. It's, not, it's, not, it's just gone out. They're not by the shore. They're, they've gone a long way out. We're told that. And they're in trouble. And there's a storm. And so they're exhausted. They're confused. They're terrified. They seem without hope. And why are they there? Why are they there? There's, I'm not sure. There's five or six points if you're making notes. The first point, Jesus makes us face strong waves in the dark. They are there because Jesus told them to be there. Notice in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get in the boats and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Why are they in the middle of a storm? Because <laughs> Jesus told them to go on the sea in the boat. And it's here 
in this suffering, in this fear, that Christ reveals himself most clearly. And the disciples obeyed him. And now they're in a very difficult place. That's good news for us this morning. It's, It's good news for us. Sometimes obedience causes problems for us. Sometimes suffering, sometimes sorrow, sometimes fear. But the good news, as we'll see, is not uh, the good news is that this sorrow and this fear and this helplessness, helplessness is not wasted. Jesus, in these, in the darkness, in the storm, reveals himself in a most powerful way. Through it, they come to know him better. Their faith is increased. Their wonder is magnified and God is glorified. That's the purpose of this. That's why he sends them in the boat. And this idea is not just found in this text, but throughout the Bible. You think, and this is a key text in the Bible, Genesis 50, when Joseph is, I'm assuming most of you will know the story of Joseph, And he has a terrible time, Joseph. His brothers sell him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt and things are good for a bit with Potiphar and then they're bad for a bit and then they're good for a bit and then his brothers turn up and there's there's this reconciliation. And and as Joseph speaks to his brothers in, in verse 45, he said, well, these things happened. You sold me, but God sent me. God was in it. Three times he says, God sent me. God was in this. In this sorrow, in this suffering, all that I've been through. And then at the end, famously he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see how God uses the sorrow and the suffering to bring life, and in this case to bring faith. Peter, it seems to me, also reflects on this in his his first epistle as he writes in 1 Peter. He had quite a few experiences to reflect on. But 1 Peter 1, he begins, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, that's important, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith... um, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter and the disciples are experiencing this, that text, in the boat on the sea. And just incidentally, well, maybe not incidentally, the praise, the glory, the honor that is spoken of could be to Christ, but probably is actually to the faithful one who keeps going. It's the commendation of God in the end. (laughs) So if you are suffering or struggling or sorrowful, if you're being tempted, if you're going through trials, then nothing is being wasted. Because Jesus makes us face strong waves in the dark. But Jesus comes to us in unexpected ways and at unexpected times. That's point two. 
There were three or four watches during the night. So the night in the Jewish mindset was set, set into three or four ways, the way they used the, the Greek or the <clears throat> Jewish uh, way of dividing the night. And so this was the fourth watch. This was between three o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the morning. And they've had a night of anxiety. They've left in the evening, the, the previous evening, and they've gone all through the night and they've been on the boat And perhaps they look up hoping that they can see land. Hoping that their ordeal is coming to an end. But but they look up and then they see, we're told, Jesus walking in the sea and they were terrified. Their their fears are increased by the sight of Jesus. And they they cry out, is it a ghost? Is it the grim reaper coming to get us? I mean, is this it? Whether he had a sickle, I don't know. But, <clears throat> but they're terrified. They cry out in fear. I mean, things are going from bad to worse, aren't they? They're in a, in a small boat in the middle of a storm, which Jesus told them to get into. And then they see a ghost. They've been battling nature for hours, and now it seems they're going to have to battle the supernatural And then Jesus immediately sees their fear and speaks to them. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus' presence in the situation changes everything, doesn't it? And he makes his presence known to them by his words. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That's how Jesus meets his people through his words. The word of a friend, word of a song, the word of a sermon, the word of a verse that comes to mind. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid are words that we need to hear often and loudly. In this brief encounter, Jesus reveals more of who he is to his disciples and to us. <clears throat> I mean, he, he meets them in, in a remarkable way, doesn't he? I mean, he walks on water. It would, be, it would be kind of amazing if he got on a boat and single-handedly sailed out to them or rowed out to them in the storm. But he doesn't. He just, he just kind of takes a stroll, an early morning stroll to see his mates. And he walks out to them. And, and it's amazing, but it's also significant. These men, perhaps these scriptures didn't come to their mind in all the fear, but they, they would have known their Old Testament. And so reflecting back on it, they would have known as the Lord speaks to Job, he, he says, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Well, it's the Lord. <laughs> or Psalm 77, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints are, are unseen. As Jesus is walking on the water, he is there to comfort them and to rescue them, but also to reveal something more of who he is to them. 
And that would only come about in this situation. And perhaps even more significant than the walking on the water is the address that Jesus gives to them. Take care, it is I. Oh, sorry, take um, heart, it is I. It is I. That, that, that's how they've translated it. I, I don't know Greek, so when I say it's in the Greek, it's, I'm not, I don't know lots of Greek. I know these two words, okay? But in the, in the Greek, it's I am. You go, Emmy, I am. So literally, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Well, why is that significant? Well, I am is the name of God. You'll know some of you when, when Moses is speaking to God in Exodus chapter 3. Moses says, who, who, who shall I say has sent me? So Moses has got to go to, back to Egypt and he says to God, who, who, who am I saying? Who sent me? Who are you? God says, I am who I am. Yahweh, that's what it means. I am who I am. And Jesus has used these titles. Most frequently it's recorded for us in John's Gospel. In John chapter 8, Jesus, as he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And their response, they picked up stones to throw at him. They knew that in that declaration saying, I am, he's saying, I'm God. I'm the Lord. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the I am was walking towards them in the storm. That's where their help was coming from or who their help was coming from. And so Jesus comes in this unexpected way and an unexpected time to increase their faith as he reveals to his disciples and to us something more of who he is. And then Peter. Jesus answers this impossible prayer. It's point three. What on earth was Peter thinking? I mean, Lord, if it's you, command me to, to come to you on the water. I mean, you've got to love Peter, haven't you? But, but that's some request. Uh, I want to walk with you. I want, I want to come to you. Lord, if, it, if it's you, then you, you can make that happen. <clears throat> I mean, I... I guess my, my request would be, would you, would you just bring the wind down a little bit? <laughs> just a, can we have a bit of calm for a moment? <laughs> I'm exhausted. But no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to walk out to you, Lord. I, I want to come and meet you. And that is a wonderful request. That is a, a request of faith, isn't it? That, that shows some understanding of Peter that he thinks not only can Jesus walk on water, but he can help him to do it. Pete joked that, said, I'm just going to teach you how to walk on water. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm not, I just, well, I don't sink, I float actually, but you can, um, I'm fairly buoyant. <clears throat> I want to be with you, Lord, and I want to be like you. That's what he wants. He wants to be with his Lord and be like his Lord. Now, I, I wonder, we, we prayed just a moment ago. 
Well, one thing has challenged me at Horsecastle, the church that I've, um, <coughs> we're, we're part of, is our prayers. We, 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 pray, we, we, we pray pretty well for people in our church. You know, at the prayer meeting, we'll pray for those who are sick or struggling or suffering or those, those kind of things. And it's right for us to, to do those things. And t- we're going to pray tonight for, for the situation in Ukraine. And we'll pray for peace and we'll pray for wisdom for the leaders. Uh, and we'll pray for the end of the invasion and we'll pray for supernatural protection. But, but in all of that, we need to, to pray greater prayers. This impossible request that Peter gives to Jesus, that actually Jesus says, well, yeah, I, I can do that. I feel I'm not. I feel I ought not to make this point because uh, I'm not in Ukraine, and uh, I'm thankful for that. And it seems horrific. Well, it is horrific. But I've, I've had things through in the church in Ukraine. Grace Baptist, as they sent a prayer update, their first prayer point for us to pray, prayer of repentance. And that for people would seek God. That's the first prayer point. And that's come from the churches in Ukraine. I think there were seven. I, I've left a piece of paper in the car. But there were seven. And several of them were for, for supplies and for peace and for wisdom. And uh, one, one of them was, was that the, the people of God would know God's presence with them in the midst of the suffering. That seems impossible prayers. But it's the pattern of the New Testament, isn't it? Think of Paul's prayer. Just one of them, Ephesians 3, maybe, this is maybe my favorite. So Paul prays this impossible prayer. That you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a pretty big prayer, isn't it? That's an impossible prayer. <laughs> He prays, and the contradiction's in the text, isn't it? In Ephesians, which you can't see, I understand, you haven't turned that out quick, but to know the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge. Paul, come on. And that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Come on, Paul, don't you realize God's eternal and infinite? He does. Peter vividly demonstrates that Jesus can do the impossible through our prayers as he walks out. And so Peter, verse 29, responds to Jesus' invitation, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. That takes some faith. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He soon, he gets out of the boat and he walks and then he sees the wind. 
and no doubt the waves, and no doubt the spray hitting his face, and he realizes what he's doing is impossible, (laughs) and he starts to sink. I can't do this. And, well, he can't, can he? (laughs) One of you felt like that. I can't do this. (laughs) I think every church leader during COVID thought, I can't do this. I'm sinking, I don't quite know what to do. Actually, church leaders all the time say that. Every parent. I am just overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Every student. Every young adult. Every widow or widower. Trusting Christ in what he's called you to do, but feeling overwhelmed and looking all around and feeling the wind and the waves on our face, as it were. I mean, Christ calls us to love one another and to preach the gospel. If we take that seriously, that's overwhelming. Corrie ten Boom, who was, along with her family, helped to hide Jews in the Netherlands in World War II. Eventually they were found out, and she was uh, put in a concentration camp. Her father uh, died within about 10 days of being there. Her sister died sometime afterwards. She said this, and she knew suffering and sorrow and overwhelming circumstances. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Peter, just for a moment, whether he took his eyes physically off Jesus, he just took his eyes for a moment and he started to sink. And then what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. His cry to Jesus as he sinks was an act of faith, wasn't it? I mean, he cries to the one who knows can save him, who knows who he knows can help him. I mean, his faith may be small, and Jesus tells us that their faith is small, all of them, but Peter included in verse 31, that they have little faith. And why do you doubt? And yet, Peter is saved, isn't he? Why, why is Peter saved? It's not the strength of his faith, but the object of his faith that has saved him. Um, if, you, uh, if you speak to my wife and actually my children, you, you will, they will tell you that lots of things annoy me. <coughs> um, one of the things that annoys me is, is when, um, when the news or they talk about people of faith. And it's just this kind of very bland description of anyone who, who is just people of faith and everyone's chucked in this pot of people of faith. But really everyone is a person of faith. Every, everyone has trust in something or um, to, to save them, to look after them, whether it be their own intellect or their job or a, a, a religion of some description. But our faith, 
It's not just kind of this vague faith thing. Our faith is in, in an object, well, in a person, in Jesus. That's who Peter's faith was in. Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, who took on flesh. And his faith, small as it was, imperfect as it was, was directed at Jesus. See, even failing, imperfect, wavering faith, and my suggestion would be that most of us think our faith is failing, imperfect, and wavering, most or at least some of the time, even that kind of faith in Christ is saving faith. It's, I'm sinking, save me. Peter's faith and his little faith saved him because his faith was in a great Savior, was in Jesus. When your faith is wavering, don't look at your faith. Look at Christ. Okay, don't, don't look in because you will find it to be insufficient by your own standards. But to look at Christ, well, that's entirely different. He is the great Savior. Now, I don't say that to crush you. <laughs> or to make you feel guilty that your faith isn't as it ought to be. Every Christian, that's a problem for every Christian. I say that to encourage you. And to encourage you to look at Christ. The Christian life is one of constant dependence on Christ. Almost every moment of every day saying, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. I need you. The, the hymn, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thy, thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, Savior, I come to thee. So faith is built. Jesus saves by faith. Fifthly, knowing Jesus leads to worship there in verse 33. Jesus gets into the boat with him, with them. The wind ceases, it drops down, and those in the boat worship him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This storm has brought to them Jesus, and in it he has revealed himself to be God Almighty, and so they do the only appropriate thing, and that's bow down and worship Him. They recognize His greatness, His majesty. Their wonder turns to worship. They submit to Him. They bow down in the boat. They see that they are in the presence of God Himself. And without that trial that they'd been through, they would not know Christ as well as they did. Rather, the trial was the means by which their knowledge increased. Now, I think this is a quote from someone else because it's a well-written sentence and my sentence is not this well-written, but let me read it to you. In the crucible of suffering and sorrow, Jesus gives to his disciples the fullest revelation of himself to date, which leads to the unambiguous declaration of Peter, truly, you are the Son of God. 
In the crucible of suffering and sorrow, Jesus gives his disciples the fullest revelation of his self to date. It's often true of our lives, isn't it? That the people who know Christ most are the ones who have suffered most, have been through the sternest trials most. Peter and the disciples have seen the gospel played out before them in miniature, spectacular as it was. They're in the sea. The sea is an imagery of, of chaos in the Bible. It's kind of untamed. Often sea is used of, of judgment. And death, you go down to Sheol, the place of the dead, through the sea. And then the Son of God, he, he comes down from the mountain, from on high, leaving communion with his Father, that's why he's up there, and he goes down and he walks in their chaos and he gets into the boat with them and he brings peace. And then, verse 34, we're told they crossed over, they came to the land. He leads them safely home. I mean, that's the gospel in miniature, isn't it? That the Son, sent by the Father, leaves heaven comes to earth as one of us, so truly God and truly man. And in doing that is the greatest revelation of God to humanity. And he comes to bring peace. Not by just getting in the boat, as seems to be the implication here, but by peace with God, by dying in our place. The storm of God's judgment is stilled. Peace with God is restored. And in the storm, in the storm, which we could say, we may be pushing a bit, the, the cross, the greatest revelation of God's love and justice and wrath and mercy is revealed there. My friends, take heart. In sorrow and suffering, take heart, Jesus says, I am. Do not be afraid. I have given you all that you need. And all that we need is Christ. And only good will come from his hand to you. May God bless you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has come to us to be God with us and God for us. And we pray, Father, that as we meditate on your word, that we would take heart 
that we would not be afraid, but because we know that Christ is for us. Amen.